the next episode of Gig Ready is here. I know you're excited, but before we get started, let me remind you of just a few things. Number one, value. We want to provide value to you. So please tell us, email us, message us on Instagram, send us a DM, tell us how we're doing, tell us how we can help you. Let us know what you want to see and hear so that we can get better. Secondly, if this podcast has been valuable to you, share it with somebody, tell a friend, Let them know what you're doing. Let them know what you're listening to because we are going to help as many people as we possibly can. I want to say thank you so much for the value that you provide each and every week as we supply more podcasts, more content, and more exciting things for you to look forward to. I thank you for your dedication. Thank you for all the hard work you put in each and every day to become a better event professional because this is the Gig Ready Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. Jordan Goodfellow here. Gig ready. Oh my gosh! Now my uh, my desk has decided to change heights automatically as I push <laughs> something over on it. But uh, we're here today with Ethan Murphy, uh, one of the greatest friends, tour companions, colleagues that I've ever had. Stage manager for Lincoln Park when we toured together for a number of years. Just came off the road with Halsey right before all of this insanity of COVID hit. And now uh, we're talking to him today about stage management. Ethan, thanks for being here, brother. How are you? How are you holding up? And uh, how, how's the family doing? Uh, hello, Jordan. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, hanging in there. Some days better than others. I think that's normal. Um, but uh, trying to stay busy because boredom sucks, uh, especially for that's people right. like us. Yeah. Um, but all in all, pretty well. Uh, now, let me say, trying to stay pretty well because um, the mind it can go either way, and so I just try yeah. to stay busy and just try to focus on positive rather than the negative. That's right, dude. The mental game is the hardest part about this whole thing. Um, yeah. I, I play the mental game every single day, and yeah. um, I wake up in the morning, and sometimes you know that thought hits you like, "Oh crap, what's gonna? When's this gonna end? When's this and and." You know, I have to physically sometimes make that shift of like, okay, Jordan, and like talk to myself. I'm like, all yeah, right, you Jordan. Catch yourself, it, it, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, like the the realization on it. You know, it's like I tell people the first the first step of anything is is recognize is recognition. Yeah, you know, and so if you if you can see or feel yourself going down to that dark place, like for me specifically, if I feel that I'm starting to get in, usually fear or faith is for me, you know, yeah. when I get in fear and the unknown and fear and stuff like that, uh, as I get older, I can catch myself in it. And, and I just literally start telling myself all the positives I have in my life. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and the track record that I have, and, you know, if, if I was to fail, you know, even anytime I failed in my, in, you know, in my past, it's always made me better. Yep. You, you know, it's always made me stronger. Um, so I'm 48 years old now and I can't have my 27 year old fears. That's right. You know, fears when I was a 27 year old of God, am I going to, you know, I I put pressure on myself to do a good job, you know, whatever that job is, but the fear of failure and stuff like that. uh, I I try to um, just recognize that that's not really a valid fear Yeah. because you, you know, failure to me is not trying or giving up. That's right. You know, so a hundred percent. And I agree with you. Failure is when you come to that moment of not wanting to try anymore. Um, and that really is the true failure. And I spend a lot of time talking. I, I say talking to myself. I hope not too much. I guess talking out loud, <laughs> my wife from around the corner is like, Hey, who are you talking to on the phone? I'm like, I was just talking to myself there. Um, yeah, yeah. but reminding myself of the things I am grateful for, the things that I can be thankful for, even though they might seem few at times. Um, you know, right now we, thankfully my family has their health and, and I've got two boys that love to play and they love to be around their dad. And, and my wife still likes to be around me. I've been home for like eight (laughs) months and somehow we, you know, we're not divorced. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, you know, I'm sure you understand that being home, for a very yeah. long period of time and uh, the the tension that comes from uh, relationships that aren't used to being around. 
for for sure months and months well, at a time. And is is part of that for me learning uh, of that hard learning was uh, I came home for a while, you know, thinking that I was in charge of things, you know. Oh well, you know, I'm just gonna I'm in charge on the road of certain things, so I'm gonna come home and be in charge of certain things at home. Nah. No, not really. You're only going to be in charge of what you're told you're going to be in charge of by the person who runs the house, (laughs) you know? That's right. And I learned to find my place in that because again, after, you know, I was, I'm in a 14 year relationship and the longest amount of consistent time that we have spent together in those 14 years is three months. Yeah. Straight. So now here we are going on nine months almost of seeing each other consistently every day. Yep. And you know, there's many positives in that, but there's also many trials and tribulations to work through with that that's with somebody, you know, that's, and, you know, and even with the kids, with the kids too, you yep. know, the kids are used to having mom tell them to do stuff. And then when dad comes in with a whole different authority, they're kind of like, okay, but you know, mom didn't tell us to do it that way, but you are, uh, no, maybe you should just listen to mom. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to dad. That's, just listen to mom on that one. <laughs> I've learned from that last mistake. That's right. When, when, uh, when my wife, Jamie would start putting it in terms of doing shows, like I would want something done in one way and she'd come in and say, she'd look at me and say, now, listen, if I were to tell you to do that on your show site and I were to come in and say, move that thing over there, how would you feel if I just came in and started giving barking orders? And I'm all right. Okay. I get it. Point yep. well taken. Yep. You're right. Yeah, I get it. I'm not saying I won't do it again. But I see your point. That's right. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about stage management here um, and managing people. A lot of people, sometimes big multi-truck, uh, you know, multi-bus tours. Um, you know, when you think about being a stage manager as you've been doing for so long, what what do you see as your primary role at that concert, at that show? Um to help manage, but just as a stage manager, what do you say? Hey, this is my role. When I walk into a job, this is what I see it as. Uh, I think it depends on whose perspective that's from as a, like as the stage manager to local stagehands, uh, I'm the guy who is going to facilitate, um, their jobs and try to make it as easy for them as possible. Yeah. Same as, same as the crew touring crew. Like my job is, uh, how's like the easiest way to put is, is to give the crew that I'm touring with, uh, to make their day as easy as possible Yep. to make their day as easy as possible because we are away from family and loved ones and, you know, not, not a lot of sleep. So it's to make their day as easy as possible. And in doing that by being ahead of all the problems with logistics yep. or ahead of the possible problems with labor or the possible, um, you know, it like, uh, dealing with sometimes you got to deal with coordinating with the riggers, you know, and like making out the floor and making sure that they can still mark out the floor. Cause you're dumping trucks on top of them because you showed up late, you know? Yeah. Um, so big overall for me, a stage manager is uh, to create an easy as a day as possible for everybody in that venue. Makes sense. For, 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 for the production manager for me, I like it for my job as a stage manager to the production manager is to, be their wingman, but like see potential problems that they may not see because yeah. they're in an office. That's right. You know, is to be their eyes on the floor for anything that may come up, you know, yeah. good or bad, you know, because they are not there. So they've got to, they're, you're their eyes on the floor, you know? Yep. And I, and I, part of my job for them is to take as much off their plate as I can. Yep. Pre um, and pre and during concerts, you know? 100%. Um, so I think it, it, it's it's a facilitator you know I, I as a stage manager i facilitate yeah um so i guess that's it kind of it is facilitate um logistics with the with the least amount of problems yeah you so know? that um that kind of answers the next question of how how do you make their job easier i mean from from a from a day-to-day standpoint regardless are they of, being stagehands or they being touring crew let's say touring crew Touring crew, uh, make it easier on a daily basis. Um, when I get in, in the building first thing in the morning and I do a walk and I start looking around for storage, uh, you know, I don't just go to the crew and say, Hey guys, there's the storage room. Cool. Have at it. First come first serve. You know, yeah. I'll go there and I'll go to each crew chief and I'll say, Hey dude, this is your part of the storage, you know, like, or this is your area. This is a storage room for just you. 
I'm only telling you guys about it, but you can't put your stuff anywhere else. Yeah. You know, and I communicate. So the best way that I can say I make days easier for people is I communicate. Yeah. I, I, I communicate the, the plan and I have a plan in terms of like, I don't tell them how to do their job. But I will offer ideas for logistics of how to get their gear in the building. You know, I'm not going to tell them how to run their cables unless it has to do with my stuff, yeah. you know, like pass to the stage and stuff like that. But to make it easier for them is to be ahead of any problems that they may face, you know, that they're not looking at because they're looking at their job at hand. Yep. Get this lighting rig up, you know, but it's my job to look at all the problems that's going to come up to them in getting that rig up. Yeah. You know, and coordinating with the sound guys that the lighting rig and the, and the PA cluster is going to smash if we don't put a tagline on, you know, just yeah. communicating with people and seeing things that they may not see because not because they're negligent. It's because they're in their own job. Yeah. You know, of course. they have their own job and I can't expect them to be looking out after everything. And that's something Digby used to tell me too, is because I used to get worked up when everybody didn't see my vision. Yeah. Right. That's not their job. That's my job. My yeah. job is to see the vision and to deliver it so that they understand it. It's not their job to understand my vision. Yeah. And, and they can't so read your mind. That, what's that? They can't read your mind. Well, that's it. And, 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 and that's it. And that's something that Jim, you know, he helped me understand is that, you know, one, everybody, it's not their job, you know, and two, you can't be, I can't think that everybody thinks like me, Yeah. you know, uh, and, and that's, why I will go out and communicate. You know, I try to empathize with local stagehands as well as touring people. You know, like the if a touring guy comes in and says, hey, I need two guys to grab that fucking super heavy thing over there on the ground and he's not thinking about it, I'm gonna go to the stagehands and go, guys, four. Four guys go over there and grab that. Just yeah. follow him. You, yeah. you know, and that's me looking out for the stagehands. Yep. You know, like for me, I, I I just try to look out for everybody, you know, maybe to a fault sometimes. Yeah. But like, you know, the merch guy. Guys, don't just throw all the boxes in a big old pile. You know, let's make them nice and neat here. So when he comes in, he can take his stuff and it's easier for him. You know, I just want to give everybody an easy job as possible, but not at my expense. That's because right. also, I don't want people to take my kindness for weakness. That's right. You know, you no. know, you know how I can get. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, you know. I just Ethan Testy, what are you talking about? That's... Yeah, I try not to, but yeah, I can be a little <laughs> bitch sometimes too. So... So what, what are you, what, how do you stay organized uh, on a day-to-day -day basis when you're doing like, I mean, you're managing 30, 40 guys, local stage. I mean, what are you doing to stay organized? A lot of talking to myself in my head, yeah. a lot of, and not in a bad way, but a lot of going over potential problems or what do I need to do next? I always try to want to be one step ahead of, of everybody else. It, unless it's their actual job, you know, yeah. like it's not, you know, uh, I will try to, where am I going with this? In terms of like trying to be ahead of all the, the potential problems that they will experience in that day. And if I can be ahead of them, um, then they're never a problem to begin with. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. You, you know, like there's a lot of people in my, a lot of stage managers, let's just say for that, or production managers or anybody for that matter, you know, you don't get the accolades for not having a problem Yep. because no one ever knew it was going to be a problem. But boy, there is many a times where if certain things just don't get addressed, that problem could have been huge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, no, I'm so I don't even know what. I don't know where I just went on a tangent because I think you asked me something that had nothing to do. No, with that, that that that's that's how you do your job, and that's what I care about. And and yeah, it's it, honestly I I would try to empathize with people, um, and I'll always try to stay at thirty minutes ahead of a timeline. Yep. As well, you know, like I go to people, and I'm sure I maybe did it with you as well. I'll go to crew chiefs, and I'll say this is usually at around twelve fifteen. You know, we got to start cutting people at 1230 for lunch. Yep. I'll say, hey, dude, at one o'clock, how many people are you going to need back from lunch? Because yep. if he says, oh, we'll be done by one o'clock, then you know what I'm doing? I'm not going to, I'm just going to let them work through one o'clock and then I'm going to cut them. Yeah. But he's like, oh, I need four people coming back from lunch. Then I'll double check. Hey, you need four or do you need six? Because, you know, we need to make sure we're going to be ready for sound check. 
And if it's just two guys for an extra hour, we can deal with that because I'd rather have that than have the artist waiting for an extra hour. Oh, yeah. That, you know. uh, so a lot of communication, uh, really, a lot of trying to empathize and not asking people to do anything that I wouldn't do. Yeah. That's that's another thing, too, is I, as a stagehand, when I was a local stagehand here in L.A., I always had respect and admiration for the people who were on the other side of something asking me to do it. Yep. Hey, buddy can I get a hand with this rather than, Hey, can you go grab that for me? Yeah. You know, I always tell people that people, some of the stronger unions are like, man, you don't need to be doing that. You know, you don't need to be pushing that. I'm just like, if you're okay with it, I'm a firm believer in working with me and not for me. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You can push that case. You just know you don't need to. Yeah, I know. I don't need to. I want to. Yeah. You know, no, that was one thing I always respected about the way that you worked was that you were always the first guy to put your hands on something. Always the first guy to push it around, push it across, move it around. Um, always seeing you back on the dock, moving something somewhere at any given time, um, getting ready for load out, getting, you know, finishing up load in, cleaning up racks, cleaning up, uh, cleaning up set carts. Um, I, sometimes I wonder if set carts weren't the bane of your existence, but you know, they are when it comes to storage for sure, (laughs) you know, uh, but again, it's, it's, I really enjoy, you know, um, Pretty much I've learned to enjoy all aspects of production yeah. as well. You know, I mean, I started as, as a carpenter and a rigger. You know, I've toured as a carpenter, rigger, never toured as a lighting guy or a video guy, sound guy. Don't know all the technical ins and outs and all that stuff. But uh, another thing over the last few years, I, I watch more, a lot more lighting and video and sound being done because I know less about it. Yeah. You know, just to just to learn more about it so, so that when I ask the video crew to come in and do something, then I know that it's not too much to ask. That's or right. if it is that I know how many people they're going to need to be involved. And if I don't have the answer, I go to the crew chief and I say, Hey dude, I need you to tell me not what you think I want to hear. You need to tell me the truth. Yeah. You know, so that we can move forward from this. Yeah. Especially if they're floundering or you can tell that they're having a really hard time. Oh, and- for sure. <laughs> dude, we just, <laughs> uh, it was funny. I'll say on one of the tours that I've did in the last couple of years, um, but it was a video crew, but, you would always know when they're having a tough day because everything would just be going. And then you'd look and there'd still be that top row still on the deck. You know, all the points are hung and everything. Yeah. And you go, guys, you're all right. Uh, yeah. We just are figuring out these bumpers again and, you know, and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, buddy, listen, you got time. I don't want to stress you out. If there's an issue and if it's going to delay any time constraints, you let me know. I.e. if this is going to push you past your four hour minimum with your crew, I need to know this. And I need to know what the problem is because it's really not an issue until it starts to become more money for our client, you know, for the, for our artist. So, you know, if it's within a four hour minimum and it's not affecting anybody else, cool, sit there and you milk that four hour minimum for that video department or whatever department it is. Right. Yep. But just know that in doing that, these hands are done in four hours. I told you this two hours ago, you know, these, I can't keep them past the four hours. As long as you guys know what you're getting into and this is not going to affect the carps or the lighting guys or a sound check or anything like that, go be it. You know, take your time. You're at the back wall. You're off the stage, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there's times where if it's on the stage, it's like, cool, you guys, you have 20 fucking minutes because you've been going for an hour and a half. You said 20 minutes and the artist is walking on the stage in 30 minutes. Yeah. And you don't have any more time because you've been telling me 20 minutes for two hours. So if you lie to me. I can't, I can't pick through the bullshit other than here comes the artist and learn from your mistakes. Don't lie to me next time. Yeah. You know? Yep. That's right. I get you. Um, when you're, when you're doing a show, when you're managing, you know, your crew chiefs, you're managing all the people around, what are you looking for? Like, what do you see as, as a quality in the crew chiefs that you want working for you? I know that you rarely ever have a choice to choose who you get, but when you do, oh, no. We do now. Well, I, I, let's say over the years I get input, and but it's more so it's not necessarily, let's just say there's some that I know uh, that I would not work for or yeah. would not have again. You yeah. know, Jim and I had a couple people, you know, over our years that if one of the vendors were to bring up this person's name, we'd be like, nah, you know, we need somebody else, yeah. you know. Um, but for me, what what I like in crew chiefs are people who are patient, tolerant, um and lead by example yeah for sure um because that also lead by example goes not just for the local state chance but it goes for their touring crew their techs as well yes you know if you have a lazy head of department 
that just tells all of his texts to do everything all the time. Yeah, it may get done, but you're not going to have that cohesiveness of a really good crew. Yeah. I've noticed that the good departments have a good leader. That's right. You know, and like they're the, the, the lower level techs will be like, Hey dude, you don't do that. Let us do that for you because they've earned the respect from their, from their lower, like the, the, the younger people want to do stuff for the older people or the higher ups. Yeah. You know, to impress them because they've got the respect now. Like they're all, Hey, well that he did it last time. I can do it this time, you know, yeah. stuff like, that. um, what I don't like about crew chiefs are yellers and yep. screamers. Don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place because you need to be heard sometimes. And if someone's disrespecting you, of course, put them in their place. But the, the yelling and angry and bitter for no reason, I don't like no. at all. Um, I usually will come back and say, Hey dude, you got to chill and warn them a few times and we've gotten rid of a few people because that just is negative energy yeah. on the floor that you don't need. Nope. You just don't need it. That's you know, right. and there's always, there's always occasions, you know, if somebody's disrespectful, of course, people can flare up and, you know, you can't let people take your kindness for a weakness, but nope. um, I, I don't know. For me, uh, cause I was a, a non-union stagehand when I started, like I was yeah. low level dude, grunt, you know, putting down, plywood on stadium shows and stuff like that but i always had an admiration and respect for people for the leaders the, you know the crew bosses the stage managers whoever they were the production managers that were always involved yep you know they were involved they were part of the part of the solution that's you know right. they wouldn't just point out the problem they were also part of the solution that's right i i think it's great um you know, as you've grown up as, as, you know, okay, so stagehand and then rigger, carpenter, uh, stage manager, you know, every, this question is always uncomfortable for people. So I'll just prepare you in advance. I'll just, no, just shoot it. I know. Why do you charge what you charge for your labor? I'm not asking what you charge, but why, where, why? Well, first of all, I don't have a set rate. Okay. Because I feel that it it depends on the artist you work for. Okay. If let's say Rolling Stones call me to go out on tour, I'm going to have a different rate, or at least I'm going to I'm going to put a different rate out there. Got it. Then say, uh, you know, fucking I, I don't know, just some some C level artist that that is giving me a month's work between tours. Yeah. You know, so I so I I but I will say, what is my value? For one, uh, it started out a very low level, yep. you know, when I first started touring 25 years ago. That's right. And uh, it's goes up obviously over time. Of course. But I have a range uh, that is between $1,500. Yeah. You know, it's, it's between X and X. Yep. And what I base that on is, you know, I know that I don't charge as much as some big stage managers, but I also know that I'm not cheap yeah. either. You know, and it's, it's that happy medium. Uh, I negotiate yep. my price, you know, and if we just can't come to a number, then that's just not the camp for me. Understood. You know, but, uh, I think- but, but how do I put a value on that? Uh, I don't know. I kind of just want to say I evolved. I mean, dude, I'll just say this. My first tour ever was Disney. Uh, dude, I worked for the rat. Uh, oh, and wow. I went to did this thing, Disney Fest Asia. And I went and lived in Singapore for nine months uh, or six months and then Taiwan for six months. Wow. Right. And they offered me a thousand dollars a week, yep. and I was like, "Whoo, I'm I'm gone." They yeah. do this was in 1996 or whatever, wow. 95, 96, whatever, and and I took it and it was great and I went and so then when I came back on the next tour, I came back and I actually started doing rock music. Okay, and so I had my starting point, you know, yep. because I didn't want to go less. And then from you know being around the business for a little while, I always heard Disney was kind of cheap anyway. Yeah, but so that was my starting point, and then. Over time, you know, go up, I would ask for a little bit more, yep. you know, over years, you know, a couple of years go by, I'd ask for a little bit more and you start getting bigger artists, you know, with and bigger productions, you know, more demand for what I was doing, you know? So, uh, that comes into play. How many trucks, you know, I'll ask how many trucks is this going to be? But usually when they sign you on, that's going to vary because, you know, a U.S. tour may say 12 trucks and then you go to Europe and you'll have three. Then you go to Asia and you won't have any, you yeah. know? So, but on the consistent touring of Europe and us, I'll ask how many trucks, you know, if they say two and they're a smaller band, I'll take a lesser salary. Yeah. Um, as where if somebody comes in and they say, we have 16 trucks and we want you to go out for this. And if it's a low ball offer, I'll go, well, not a chance, but you know, I'll go out for this. And if we meet in the middle, great. 
Oh, that's great. I think that's awesome. And and there's a lot of variables there. Like you said, a two truck tour can sometimes be harder than a 16 truck tour. A two truck <laughs> tour in theaters. Yeah, two truck tour in theater with a bunch of stupid set pieces and storage that aren't going to store anywhere and all that stuff. Like yes. Quadruple, it comes into play. Quadruple stacked, flipped upside down, wheels to the sky. Yeah, yeah. forklifting up on top of an attic that's going to take, dude. Now, where was it? Oh, God. It was in Switzerland or no, Denmark. They have this new building, right? Brand new building that burned down the inside of it a couple years ago. And okay. so we were one of the first bands coming into this building. And prior to us getting there, they told us you cannot store anything. You can store zero in the building. It's all got to store outside and down the street. Wow. So when we get there, I walk in and the first thing that I see, the first thing that I see is some of their house cases stored underneath the seats and underneath the stage. And so when I got to the building person, I was like, hey, so just so I'm clear, are all your things going out of the building or are we allowed to store in the building? And they're like, what? I'm like, well, we were told nothing can store in the building. Well, what happened is, we ended up storing some in the building and yeah. they ended up taking some of theirs out of the building and we had a compromise, you know, but it was all about the delivery, you know, yeah. and, and just the compromise. But some places we were able to work that out. But I guess the point I'm getting at is some two truck tours in a theater loading out, getting the gear back in. You have to do a separate load in to get the gear Ugh. so that you can do your load out. Yeah. You know, just and I did that on a few times on the Halsey tour. We had tons of gear stored, you know, outside. And, and all these carts and everything. And before we bring in the guillotine and load out in the PA and all that stuff, you got to get all that stuff to front of house, you yep. know, because if there's no side bombs or everything, everything's got to get on the floor before we can load out. Yeah. So you got to load in before you can load out and get everything going one direction before you get everything going the other direction, you know? Ouch. Well, but I would, you know, and some people, oh, can we just, no, I don't want anything going two different directions. Just give me five minutes. Yeah. Your one little base rack can sit by your world right now for five minutes. <laughs> And I'm not trying to be a dick, but those are the only things going out that quick. Or the floor lights that I load, just leave them in the corner. Let me get everything inside the building first, and then we'll take everything out. Because otherwise, you're crossing streams. You got set cars smashing little boxes, you know, and all kinds of stuff. So, You mean a backline guy wanted to push against the stream and get his gear on the truck before it was unloaded? Dude, 13-minute loadout, bro. <laughs> I Dude, 13-minute loadout, 17-minute loadout sucks. So they got to have that 13-minute loadout. I know, buddy. I know. Man, you and put- don't get me wrong, I'm just poking at the backline guys because a lot of backline guys I really enjoy and they work really hard. But, you know, it's just that play. It's like, it's like making fun of a video guy sometimes with their cable. I know. Well, we all know the shortest distance between two points. Yes, it's a video cable. <laughs> That's right. That's great, dude. So uh, what uh, what are what are three things that oh Ethan Murphy needs on every show? It doesn't matter what they are; they can be anything. I don't care. It's not. It, are they tangible things or no? Sure, three tangible. Are they things like I need to have one thing that well <clears throat> need to have. Uh, I need to have stagehands. Yeah. Well. Yeah, all right. So let me let me back up. So three right, per- tape measure. Okay. Tape measure. There you go. All right. Flashlight. Okay. And. Same measure flashlight and nowadays you need fucking hard hat or steel toes but that's just you know for safety but in terms of tech um your stage plot got it love it that's that's great what about personal things what are three things that you as a person like okay when i'm touring these are the three if i couldn't take anything but these three things with me and they would travel with me everywhere i went what are those three things hmm. passport you need that but stuff I mean, that you don't need. About, like, I mean, it's like your so you have your phone, but like, so for me, if I went anywhere that didn't have coffee, like that would be like the place that I couldn't go. I mean, I would go, but you know, it's like the it's the things that make being on the road better. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, for one, I I really like. I don't know. I like the uh, the adrenaline rush of that. Yeah. Of of this, like things I need to have, not a boring job. Like they're okay. not adrenaline rushes the yeah. long term of it, but um, that's why I still do it. I have that 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 job still gives me excitement. Yeah. Right? So I still need that excitement when I go to to a job. All right. So I still need the excitement um, or the passion, I guess, yeah. the passion to do what I do. So that's one. Um, I still need the support of my friends and family because yeah. here I am. I'm the guy that you just got close to over these last few months and now I'm going to disappear again. Yeah. So please, you know, cause 
personal relations are tough for people like us when we get home, you know, because you're that guy that's gone again, you know, um, that, you know, it's really funny, Jordan. That's really things like, cause it, we have a checklist of packing, but for yeah. me, it's all necessities like passport toiletries. I go through the shoes, socks, underwear, pants, shorts, short sleeve, long sleeve. Like I, I, I clothe myself as I go up to make sure I have everything in the suitcase. Yeah. But like, um, you know, I would say, uh, patience. I definitely need patience from the second I leave my house yeah. because let's just say first thing you go to is an airport. <laughs> what do you need in an airport? Patience. Lots of it. That's right. Lots of it and people in lines and all that stuff. Um, but what do I, my work box, my work box, but that's not a need at every show, <clears throat> yeah. you know, because work boxes are costs. I can take my flashlight and my tape measure are like, yep. and, and you know what? A pen and paper, little notepad. As I get older, I memorize a lot of stuff yeah. or used to, but as I'm getting older, the brain is, uh, forget some things. So, you know, for a bigger production or anything that's got like little teeny things, tiny yeah. things, just a little notepad, just so, you know, you're getting a lot of information and then the production manager calls you and tells you, you need to do something. Oh shit. Well, I don't want to forget that. Just write it down real quick. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that the way, I mean, the way you answered that shows really shows a picture of you as, as a professional, like being able to work in any situation with whatever you're given and, yes. and being it, able just, to like, like you said, you as long as I bring my good attitude with me and bring a little bit of patience, we're going to shoehorn this thing in here and it don't matter what, what, what yeah. happens. We're going to have a There's show. There's no choice. Yeah. That's right. We're not going to cancel the show because the, it won't fit in the venue. That's right. Like the show is tonight, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, one thing I will say that helps me a lot being a stage manager, uh, as funny as it sounds is granola bars. I call them breakfast bricks because yeah. sometimes dude, depending on the show or the venue or whatever, it may be nonstop until at least lunchtime, Yep. you know? So you get your breakfast in the morning. That's great if you have time, yep. but 10, 11, 12, when everyone else is starting to go eat and you're making your cuts and you're making sure that the, the, the flow is still going on the floor and then everybody's still working, you start to get a little hungry. Yeah. And in my skinny ass gets hungry. I get a little <laughs> grumpy, right? <laughs> That's so right. What I've learned, what I've learned is uh, I just put a package of granola bars in my pocket. Perfect. You know, just, just something to just eat, to put something in there uh, because sometimes stage managers don't get to eat. Yeah. And it's not that they don't get to, they can. I'm just, uh, it's my own fault sometimes dude, go eat something. And it's like, I won't walk off the floor for fucking 10 minutes, yeah. you know, when I can, I yeah. really can, but I won't. And then I'll go eat at like two o'clock when I can sit down for like 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, so. I had a, I had a stage manager, uh, stage manager, lighting crew chief. I don't remember one or the other, one of the first rock and roll tours I did back in sheesh, 2007, I was in the middle of a project during a load in and he's like, you know, and it was like one of those days where we had two days to load in, first load in, kind of getting stuff put together. And I was like, yeah. no, I got to finish this. No, I got it. And he's like, Jordan, there's always going to be work left to do. Go get food. Yeah. Take 10 minutes and eat some food. And I've never forgotten that because he's right. Like there's always- It makes all the difference in the world. It really it does. A hundred percent. And naps too. You know what's funny? Um, I do not, to, I do not take naps at home. Never. Yeah, you know, I just don't like it. I feel like it's just a personal thing, but boy, it is a nice thing to get a nap on tour. You know, especially <laughs> I mean, because let's face it, up at six thirty in the morning, bed at two thirty or three in the morning. Yeah, for yep. every many shows in a row. So, and everybody should take a nap when they can get it. And that's another thing I try to preach on people is that, dude, don't feel guilty about going to take a nap if the work is done. And then like you know, I'll develop. Most tours, I'll try to find a channel, but usually it's channel 10 or something. I call it the sleep channel. Dude, yeah. just go to channel 10. If I need you, I'll call you. But otherwise, you wouldn't hear and you shouldn't hear anything on that radio. Yeah. You know, that's a great idea. Well, I never even thought about that. Um, I've always been, I always felt like I was lazy if I napped on tour. So I, I there are times that I wouldn't because I'm like, I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm lazy or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I used to be that way in the beginning. And then it was like, you know, fuck that, dude. My pride. Yeah, I don't need that. But I do, I feel that way when I'm at home. If yeah. I take a nap. No, I, I'm that with I you on that. I, I agree. Um, I, I think that it it's, uh, naps are good, though. I like naps sometimes. Sometimes I just have to like stop and I'm like, okay, 10 minutes, set the alarm on my phone and, 
it's well, that's good. Those are the best ones though, too. For my like the the shorties. Yeah. You know, anything over that, like for me, like over I, I don't get me wrong, touring's totally different from home. But like if if it like early at night, say eight o'clock at night, if I fall asleep for like ten minutes before I'm supposed to, uh God, that's a really good sleep. It is. You know, like it, it's oh, God, and it feels so good. good. And you're so like so good. But then sometimes yeah. I end up being up to like one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I can't go back to sleep. So well, I'll tell you, that's my sleeping pattern now is I've gotten to, uh, for, for a while it was, you know, cool. I get all the sleep. Well, now it's waking up at fucking five in the morning, yeah. you know, just, okay, great. I went to sleep at one and now it's five. Oh, gee, what did I used to do? Oh, that used to be a tour schedule. <laughs> you know, it's oh, yeah, my mom's yeah. going back to that, uh, you know, but whatever, learning new things, it's temporary. How's your, how does your body handle kind of the, the sleep schedule on tour and, and, you know, as you're getting older, have you noticed anything that you, like you have to do differently when it comes to going to bed, waking up, things like that? Um, as I've gotten older, I've just noticed that I need more sleep. Yeah. I mean, not, not, but I'm also the person that on a day off, it's not like I go to bed at 10 o'clock so that I can wake up at six. I still am up till call it midnight. And we'll go to sleep, you know, Jordan, you got me thinking about these three things that, that I need to take on tour. And literally it's, it's a tape measure, a flashlight and a fucking good attitude. Yeah. That's great. I, I, that's all you need. And we're back up and running now. So that was perfect timing for you to say that. I couldn't have asked for a better, could good. not have asked for a better timing on that. Um, how do you find work when you first got into the industry? Of course, finding work is super critical, but what did you do to, to find work when you first got into um, all this? I first, my first gig, uh, was SCAF and I first started, uh, I was 19 and my stepfather, uh, ran a local production company here in Los Angeles, Fred okay. Saunders production services. And he was doing a bunch of, uh, stadium shows at the time, right? Scaffolding. And, uh, he asked me if I wanted to go do a loadout. And so I said, sure. And I went and did a loadout at the Rose Bowl and they put me up in the pass line and uh, I was hooked. Uh, I mean, straight up, that became my job for the summer. Wow. Uh, doing local production work, mostly SCAF. And I enjoyed that whole everything about, I mean, I grew up in the industry, right? So I've always been backstage at concerts and all that stuff, but had never worked in it. And then when I did that SCAF gig, uh, the adrenaline rush and the, the, the camaraderie and the pirateness about it and all that stuff was exactly what I wanted when I was 19 years old. So I was an economics major at the time. I took a semester off and this is the longest fucking semester I've ever had. Uh, and I was a local, just a local stagehand, you know, for first four or five years. Yeah. And that Disney thing that I told you about earlier, Disney Fest Asia, we did a rehearsal here in Los Angeles and we built two circus tents, basically the size of football fields. And they were joined by a tunnel, right? Oh, cool. And it was like a six week load in, right? And then we did the rehearsals and all this stuff. And during the rehearsals, the head carp slash stage manager for the show approached me and said, hey man, uh, we really like the way you work. Would you want to go over to Singapore with us and help us build it over there? And he said, you know, you can do the rigging part of it and build the structure and all that like you did here. And then when we go into the theater, you can come in and help me build, build the theater and the stage and all that stuff. And I was like, sure, why not? Awesome. So went to, that was my first offer to, to go to leave anything. Yeah. Um, and the, went to Singapore. And uh, while we were over there, I was only supposed to do the load in. And we got, you know, halfway through the load in and the same guy approached me and said, hey, man, what do you think about staying over here and helping me run the theatrical show? And so I stayed there and that's, I did the Disney Fest Asia with them for a year and came home. And at the time, uh, all access, you know, all access yep. staging. Yeah. Got Ty Trussell work there. And I'd done a bunch of local work for all access over the years, you know, through Fred. Yep. And uh, he called me and he's just like, hey, dude, you just got back from Asia. Do you want to go to Europe? Uh, I need to replace somebody on an Alanis Morissette tour. And I went on Alanis Morissette. I said, sure. And I met a production manager on that. Uh, no, no, sorry, not yet. I did Alanis Morissette for 10 weeks, came back and then Ty Trussell, same guy yep. said, uh, Hey, we're doing corn rehearsal or production in here doing the mock-up for the set. And the production manager is going to come in here 
uh, and I want you to meet them. And they need another carpenter. They have six. They need a sixth carpenter. Jeez. And I went and met the guy who I had already knew. He was, uh, when I knew him, he was a lighting guy for Delicate. His name was Chris Gratton and he, he worked for lights. Yep. Well, over these few years, now he's, you know, he's moved up the ranks and he's a production manager. We saw each other. We knew each other. He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I went on tour with him. And for the next few years after that, I pretty much just worked with the same production manager. Right. Nice. And through the exposure of that, um, uh, I've been fortunate enough to where people have reached out to me for work. Yeah. You, you well, know, over the year, your, um, your I, work, your, your quality of work speaks for itself. And that's the, what it comes down but, to. But it's, it's, it's a unique experience in that I just feel very fortunate with the, the networking that I made early to where, uh, people will call me if they, if they need me or want me to work for them. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's kind of embarrassing in that if you were to ask me to do a resume, I probably wouldn't be able to do one or, you know, I could tell you all the people I've worked for and all that stuff, but I feel very blessed and fortunate enough in that I've never had to do a resume. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. now that being said right now, if I were to go apply for anywhere, uh, you know, outside of this industry, um, you know, that's a whole new ball game that scares the yeah. fuck out of me because, you know, I'm not exposed to that. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't scare the fuck out of me. It's just going to be different. It's just way different. Yep. You know? No, I get uh, it. It's uh, it's a scary proposition. It's been a thought that's crossed my mind, even even running my company and things like that. It's like, okay, how how long does this go, and what happens if this goes on for years? Yes. You know what what do we do, and where am I going to go, and having to create, you know, a resume and make, you know, how yeah. tell people what we do and how we do it and how did we do it? I mean, you know, yeah. And this is all we know though, too. And that's the thing is, is that this was our careers, you know, it was our careers. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like this was a part-time summer job, you know, that we'd pick up to go hang out at concerts, yep. you know, like this was a career that we all made decisions and turned down other life opportunities to do this, to take this path. Got it. You know, and so it's it's the fact that it was all just it's gone. Like yep. right now, it's it's not gone forever, but it is non-existent right now. Yeah. So there's a lot of people in limbo, including myself. You know, um, I feel fortunate now more so than six say six months ago yeah. that the realization um, that I can like really step back and take to take a look of how this affects us and our industry and the social side of it and being around thousands of people to being around three people a day. Yeah. You know, for months and weeks on end, like, uh, it's trying, you know, and unfortunately some people have taken their lives in this fucking during this thing and, you know, and people are struggling, man. And it's, it's sad. Uh, it's really sad. Uh, and I just, uh, I really just hope that, that this business comes back to somewhat what it was before. Yeah. I hope that it doesn't all change because it really as dysfunctional as this business was, or as, as dysfunctional as the people in this business are, it yeah. is a very functionable business, you know? It is, so. 100%, man. Um, the The work that you do can be pretty tough. You can have some pretty rough days, some pretty good days. Um, what overall is the toughest job, like the toughest gig you ever had? It was just downright tough, miserable, you know, wouldn't want tough to Tough mentally again. or physically? Oh, let's do both. Because I'll tell you this, uh, a little thing. Uh, I was an assistant tour manager, right? Okay. For a tour. And let's just say that, uh, you know, I'm not going to get in any names or artists or anything like that. But I left a, a very, very popular artist who I had very good relationships with them in that band. Um, and I left them because my relationship with the tour manager was so distraught. Yeah. And I was mentally miserable on days. Everything to do with working with that person is, was just not me. Got you know, it. it just was not a good fit. And uh, so I left it, you yeah. know, that, that was uh, a, a tough part for me to do, but on the assistant tour manager side of that thing, that was mentally the toughest job that I had because no matter what I did, it what it was never a success it was never good enough it yeah. was never finished it was just always a, a carrot in front of it and it was a very frustrating job you know that i sucks. guess so that was the toughest one um i guess mentally uh i'm just trying to think of shit tours you know 
some of them are shit when you're in it, but in hindsight, like <laughs> I look at uh, the friends and the family, the road family that I have from every tour that I've done. Yeah. You know, like, there, there hasn't been a tour. Let's just put it this way. I think, well, nowadays, if somebody reached the only artist that, that I've worked for, that if they reached out to me, I'd probably deny now wouldn't be because it was a difficult job. It'd be because of their legal problems. <laughs> uh, R Kelly, <laughs> I worked with R Kelly for, you know, for one tour and, uh, you know, nothing went bad or anything like that, but obviously the guy's got some legal problems. So I just don't think I'd go back to work for him again. Um, anybody else I'd go back and work for yeah. any of them. What about yeah. physically like hardest, just the, the one run or gig that was uh, just a, a ball buster. I will say, but I really enjoyed the tour, yeah. but it was physically and it was really tough for me. Um, in a lot of different ways was Avenged Sevenfold Hail to the King. Okay. Because we just had such a massive set and we were putting it in um, like sheds was no problem until it was a 60 foot wide set in a 60 foot one inch wide shed. Oof. And uh, I had four other bands with us sometimes Yeah, uh, to where I was literally because it's really tough to get an eight by eight riser uh off a stage when you have no way to get it off a fucking stage yeah so i was doing set changes of four by eights through bringing them on through guitar world and then locking them together and getting them in place and then disconnecting them and going off through monitor world yeah just to make that happen on a daily basis and then on top of that we would have the two those were for the opening act drum risers and then i would have to backload the two next bigger drum risers, because they didn't have time to put them together during a set change. They were much more intricate. Yeah. In our 40 or 24 by 60 foot set, we would leave decks out of it and we would put the, their drum risers in it. And then when it came for their set, we'd pull their drum riser out, drop the curtain that was covering our set, and then build up our set that we still had to build. Right. Wow. But there was a whole lot of logistics on an everyday basis that we had to do on that. Brutal. Um, that was pretty brutal. And the, the kicker on that was the set change every day going into Avenged Sevenfold. We had these 200 pound powder coated uh, aluminum stairs and there was 15 of them across the whole set. And you could only put them like when you're putting them in on the onstage side leading, if you didn't have someone you would trust putting them in, they'd smash your fingers. Well, we had two carpenters on that tour that were supposed to put the stairs in every day. And what happened, it was, it was me and you know, Chris Wilson, yep. the rigger, yep. me, the rigger and the production manager and one local stagehands put those stairs in every day. And we were animately frustrated with the carpenters who didn't make it past that leg. Um, but physically doing that every night during a set change on top of all the logistics going around that, that was a pretty tough, tough wow. day. Awesome. T tough, tough tour. Yeah, get it. But, um, you know. And mentally, uh, the biggest, the, the toughest thing I've ever had to just say that I just want to say this because it's a really fucked up thing if you ever have to deal with it is safety. I, I used to, Jordan, you know me as well. I used to, safety is, is important, but I used to be the guy of like, if I had to climb, I would just go climb. I wouldn't go put on my harness. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, I was one of the old school scaffers, you know, I never used to wear a harness, blah, blah, blah. And I still have a problem putting on a harness. Okay. I saw someone fall and die. All right. And that was the toughest day. I, the toughest loadout experience I've ever had. And I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it only takes one time for somebody for you to fall. And what's really fucked up is the person who fell, he didn't die. He landed on a kid and the kid that he landed on his head popped and that kid died. So the person who, and, and the, the whole thing that's fucked up about that is he had a half harness on and he belly strapped and he pushed himself off the back and he didn't have two points of contact. So, you know, I'm just bringing this up in that you can have really good days and good tours and all that stuff, but one fucked up thing can put a blemish on it for life. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it may not even be your life that you're taking. It could be someone else's that had no idea. This was a 19 year old kid that literally was leaning over a section of lighting truss. And, you know, without getting into gory details, I'm sure you can figure out what happened. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, I guess this is just my safety speech for the thing is just, it only takes one second to fall. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And, you know, as stupid as shit as I've done in my past, I should have fallen a hundred fucking times and thank God I did not. Yeah. You know, so I don't know.
I, just blabbing about shit, but you're saying the worst tour. No, I wouldn't good, say dude. I the it. worst tours. It's more so worst day. Yeah, no, you're you're answering the questions, and that's what matters. Yeah. Um, if somebody wants to become a rock star stage manager like Ethan Murphy, <laughs> what do they need to do, or what should they be thinking about doing as their career grows? Um, you know, going forward from where they are right now. Uh, something that has helped me is knowing a little bit about everything. Like I said, I've toured as a carpenter, I've toured as a rigger, assistant tour manager, production manager, stage manager, you know? And then when I was in Los Angeles doing local work, I, I did it all, you know? I did yeah. rigging, writing, sound, but I was just a stagehand. Yep. Um, but understanding a lot, of, like not knowing the technical thing about everything, like I said, but the logistics of what it takes going from the dimmer rack to the lighting trust, knowing the logistics of what you're going to be asking somebody to do as a stage manager, yeah. right? Um, and observing, you know, uh, observing and, and empathizing, you know, what certain things are. You know, everyone wants to talk shit about everybody else's department. You know, so-and-so has it so easy, so-and-so has it so easy and all that stuff. Everyone picks their own jobs. Yes, How about this? Right. Just think about your own job. That's right. Who cares about their other jobs? That's you, right. You know? uh, dude, I couldn't agree more. That's that's a great way to be prepared. And um, no, basically just enough so people can't pull the wool over your eyes. So like you said earlier, when you're talking to the guys putting up the video wall and you know that it's been two hours and it should not have been two hours to do what they're doing. And yeah. then they can't look, you know, and they, they can't, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know how long this takes. Well, you can go up there and say, guys, I know this shouldn't take this long. You need to tell me what's really going on so that we can actually get to the bottom of it and stop lying to me about it. Um, because unfortunately that's what a lot of people do on the road. They try and cover their own butt. And instead they of, candy yeah, instead of admitting to their mistakes saying, Hey, I screwed up or this happened and we messed up, let's fix it together. You know, that was one of the things Jim always told me. He's like, Jordan, if there's a problem, I can't help you if I don't know about it. Exactly. And so if you're trying to hide it because you want to fix it yourself, but then it could cause problems for other things down the road. For um, sure. And it may affect other departments. Exactly. You know, you know I, had a, I had a really funny, so we Backstreet Boys, we were somewhere, I don't remember, we were inside of like a shed. I want to say we were in, um, what is it, Woods, Um something woods. Cynthia Woods in Houston? Yeah. No, it wasn't Houston. It was that it's the big wooden oh. the big uh the big wooden shed where everything like the the whole thing is still wood. The backstage area is wood. It's like a big theater, but it's um Oh, um Wolf Trap. Yeah, Wolf Trap. Thank you. Wolf Trap. And I was we were getting ready for show. We were like 25 minutes from the boys taking the stage and I had, a, I'd set a water bottle with its lid on, on top of a, a case next to my rack. And I turned around and I whacked the water bottle. Thankfully it was capped, but it fell over and it did the one thing that I wouldn't expect. It, it hit the breaker on one of the two projectors for no the, for the show. Like it, it fell down, hit the breaker, turned the breaker off and boom, fell down. And I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, you know, and I, and I could like, I could have tried to fix it, but I called Jim and I was like, Hey, here's what happened. And that was when he and I had that conversation. He's like, thanks for telling me, you know, and we decided, all right, leave it off. If something does go, it was only the backup. So if something happens, you can just flip it on and fire it up. But you know, that's where it is. Don't try and realign it. Don't try and fix it now. You know, we're 25 minutes from show doors are open and, and yeah. you know, that, it was a perfect example of him saying, Hey, you know, yes, it was a mistake. It happened, but you know, and the show went perfect. Nobody knew anything. It wasn't needed. Like it was great. And, and nobody was the wiser, but I could have really made us look like fools. If I had just all oh, flipped it on and started doing stuff and tried to fix it for sure. when, you know, he was able to make that call. So yeah. and it's, it's funny to say that. Cause I tell people straight up now uh, and I'll tell this a crew chief, especially a lot of crew chiefs, not crew chiefs, local crew chiefs, yeah. right? Because they don't know me. Like after, you know, you tour with someone for after a couple shows, you know, their personality, whatever. Yeah. But I go in with local crew chiefs all the time. And it's usually with stage hands of how many short they are or how many late or anything's this. And I go, look, just tell me the truth. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear because the truth's going to come out very soon anyway. So yeah. just so I can deal with it. 
So I can plan. You tell me what the truth is yep. so that I can deal with it the way that we need to because I know what's in those trucks. So, you know, the fact is, if you lie to me and it's 8.05 and we're still 10 short, uh, it's going to come out anyway, buddy. You yeah. know, like, and same thing sometimes with crew chiefs, you know, like lighting guys or something. Okay, well, when's this, when's the rig going to go out? 20 minutes. Well, I can tell you this right now, it's not going out in 20 minutes just by looking at dimmers right now. So <laughs> I'll come back in five minutes and then you can tell me like, but don't tell me what you think I want to hear because you're going to look more, you're going to look worse if you tell me 20 minutes. That makes you look good for right now. But 45 minutes from now, when it's still sitting on the ground, then it makes you look like you really didn't know what the fuck you're talking about. You just yeah. told me what you think I wanted to hear. That's right. A hundred percent, dude. Honesty and being straight up about it. it never, yeah. never is the wrong way to go. Even if it's the biggest screw up in the world, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, something else real quick about uh, being a stage manager. Uh, if you do decide that you want to do something like that, just be prepared that for long days. That's another thing too. You know, you're first in and last out yep. and you are always on call. Even if there's nothing to be done, you know, if the production manager needs something on the floor and if you're taking a nap, that's all cool and production managers are cool, but just be aware that you could get woken up at any time right. and you should not have an attitude about it. You can, you can fucking punch your bunk if you want, <laughs> but as soon as that curtains opens and you're getting out of your bunk, yeah. don't carry that attitude with you because this is your job. Yep. This is your job to facilitate and be on call for your crew from the moment you get off that bus until the moment you get back on it. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's the job that you chose to do. And that's what you, uh, I mean, that 100%. was. I, see, I like it. Yeah. I like the social interaction and I like the relationships that I've made around the world. And I also like the controlled chaos of load ins and load outs. Yeah. I like it. You know, some people are like, oh, it's so crazy. And, I'm like crazy. <laughs> I like adrenaline. There are definitely yeah. days that I miss a good old fashioned rock show load in and, you know, getting it in, you know, the first load in took you eight hours and then the 12th load in took you five. Yeah. And for sure. it's, you know, the, the feeling of, of refining that process over and over and over and making it better and better and better. And then you get to, you know, as your loadouts get better, you go from two and a half to two to one forty five, and you're eager for, sure. for that one thirty five, and you're like, Oh, we're so close. Um, yeah. there's a lot. Oh, of so I will say this. I really do enjoy those good loadouts still, but, uh, over the last couple of years, I've taken a step back in that to me, uh, hour and 47 minute loadout and an hour and 53 minute loadout they don't fucking matter really <laughs> i mean right. it, they do and i want to keep it going but not at the expense of someone's safety that's right not at the expense of somebody's ankle getting rolled up on a by a by set cart yep. you know stuff like that you know yep. it's not worth it you don't get an extra trophy you don't get a raise you don't get an extra t-shirt but i will tell you if you're the fastest you know when we're done you if you want to know you know the best is our first thing in the morning you walk in you haven't even unloaded you haven't even opened the trucks yet how long is your loadout <laughs> I don't know, buddy. We'll find out how good your crew is tonight. That's, <laughs> That's right. what We'll see how good you guys are. Our normal is an hour 45. Oh, we'll beat that. Okay. Well, you guys just put your pressure on yourself, but I'm just telling you, no one gets hurt here. Yeah. This is not at the expense of somebody else. That's right. hundred percent, dude. The extra three minutes ain't worth it. It's Never, just not. Ever, I used to think ever. it was for right. Yeah. We did an hour and 43 minutes slowed out. Okay, cool. And then you sat and fucking washed up with a towel for 17 minutes in the fucking bathroom. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, that's right. Dude, if you don't rush that quick, then are you rushing to go to sleep or are you just rushing to go have a beer and a slice of pizza? I mean, I get it, but it just doesn't need to be at the expense of somebody's safety, no. you know? Not at all. 100%, dude. That's awesome. That's all. Well, the last question I ask everybody every time we do this is um, Would I ever work for you? Yes. No, that isn't it, but I appreciate you answering that one. Um, what are two things that, no, regardless of their position, lighting, audio, video, special effects, crew chief, stage manager, production manager, what are two things that I as an individual can do to be more gig ready, to be more ready for my next gig now? What are something I can be thinking about saying, okay, these are two things that I should be looking for in myself so I can do a better job the next time I go out? Oh, wow. Is this like, are you talking like anything. COVID? Like any, COVID no, anything. Stuff? Nope. Any, anything. 
Just doesn't matter. Uh, uh, try to empathize. Carry carry a bit of empathy. Yeah. And empathy meaning that putting and not like being able to put yourself in anybody's shoe and to understand maybe why the dimmer guy's having a really fucked up day. Yeah. You know, you know, or to understand why somebody else might be having a really bad day. Like just empathy or to put yourself in their shoes of what you're asking them to do. Yeah. You know, so for me is to just to be a bit more human. Yep. For me, that is something, especially coming out of this, that is something that I've told myself that I'm going to have to be coming out of this is because everybody's fears are going to be different coming out of this. And stagehand A may be very comfortable working shoulder to shoulder with somebody with a mask on and stagehand B may not be comfortable working with somebody within six feet around them. Yeah. And and I can't, it's not fair for me to tell that person who's scared that they shouldn't be scared and yeah. that they have to go work next to that person with shoulder to shoulder. I have to empathize and I have to understand where maybe that person can do a job that's going to, they're not going to feel alienated and they're going to still feel productive. Dude, I had a a pregnant woman uh, on a loadout. She's literally looked like she was ready to pop. And I'm like, she goes, what do you want me to do? And I go, you're on the call. I thought she was like an assistant or something or someone's wife or something. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm yours. She was actually my stagehand because I had two utility. What you're going to do young ladies, you're going to stand right here next to this forklift. That's all you're going to do. And you're going to tell him up, down. That is all you're going to do. And he's only going to listen to you. And I had a job for her. And I worked with the other one and brought cases to the forklift. Yeah. And all she would tell the forklift driver is up and down, you know, but I was able to find somebody a job by putting myself in her shoes and trying to make her feel part of without making her feel like, Hey, just go sit in the chair over there. I, you can't do anything, You, you know, like you can do something. If, now, I'm not going to have you go push anything. I don't need to have a pre-baby on the floor during loadout, <laughs> but I will still make it so you can be a part of this. You know. Yeah. So, so for me, is, is, is empathy coming out of this? Or like, Because everyone's going to be going through different shit uh, mentally, financially, yep. uh, all that. So that's one. And the second thing, uh, empathy and patience. Patience. And that's something that not just out of this patience, patience for anybody in this business going into it, because we are the majority of this business is a bunch of, of outcasts for lack of a better word. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a bunch of people who aren't the norm. That's right. Right. They're not the norm. And that's why they do it. Yep. But in that you have so many different personalities that you're going to, that you're going to have to deal with and, and come into contact with and stuff like that. So and it's not always going to vibe with what you're saying or yep. what you think or anything like, especially coming out of this with the politics and the COVID and everything different than that, but understanding uh, and patience, like, you know, just having patience and not so argumentative about everything for me. That's no, just what I'm trying to take out of this is empathy and patience coming out of this. That's great, dude. I, I, I mean, both of those things go regard COVID or not. I mean, that yeah. you, you have to do that. You look at others and understand that other people um, are different than you are. And that as a human, I find it's very difficult sometimes to do that because we get so stuck, especially in, in our heads, Um, you know, but to flip it around. And I found it very useful, um, especially like my relationship with my wife, for instance, if she's having, I've been home for a really long time and she's having a tough day with something that I did. I, you know, whatever, I took the trash out the wrong way. It's not supposed to be that way. Well, she saw it me doing it one way and interpreted it in one fashion because that's who she is. And I just looked at it as, Oh, it's no problem. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And taking 10 seconds to say, okay, she was expecting this set of steps to happen. I should have gone and gotten the trash upstairs first before I took, etc. You know, that little bit of understanding from the other side goes a huge way to creating a better relationship with people. For sure. Um, For and, sure. Like I said, and, and learning here, still learning, like I said, right. still, you know, learning that I am not in charge when I come home. Um, that's right. 20, 25 years and counting and uh, still sometimes feels like a kindergartner. So yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes, at least it's not first day every day. So yeah. <laughs> true, true story. True story. Well, awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking all your time today. And um, hey, thank you, buddy. Thank was you. It was a really great chat. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that other people did too. So thanks. Good. Me too, buddy. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was. Have a great day, man. You're doing good things, Jordan. You're doing good things, man. Proud of you, kid. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. See you. The last eight months in our lives have definitely not been easy. 
It's certainly been a challenge to figure out how are we going to navigate this time frame? How are we going to move, change, shift, adjust mindsets that have been ingrained for so long? As you go forward through today and the rest of your week or your weekend, know that there are others out there that are standing right beside you, fighting the same fight you are, working just as hard as you are to try and figure out a way to be better, to be stronger, to move on and get to the next phase of where we are. Gig Ready is about just that, working together to find a better way forward. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Oh,